Section three of the Baha'i Revelation by Thornton Chase. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. The Baha'i Revelation by Thornton Chase. Section three. The Gift of God. God loved the world not only the jews at jerusalem but all mankind not only at the time of jesus but before and since always since the world began he has given his word to all men at all times in so far as they were able to receive it whence came the wonderful instructions for life in the ancient writings of enoch moses david and the psalmists in the vedas the avesta the gathas and upanishads in Isaiah and Lao Tse. Were they of human or divine manufacture? They were always higher than the imaginations of men, and they were opposed to his natural desires. When their inner significances and realities are perceived, the oneness of their essentials is so evident that there can be no doubt that they originated from a single source. They all had their origins in the Word of God, which in its essence is the same today, yesterday, and forever there is but one god his word is ever one and the same that which is different is not his word each of the great religions bases its teaching faith loyalty and existence upon confidence in the word of a single human founder each points back to him as the reliable one the superlative one the infallible one but no word is infallible save that of god and if those great ones were truly reliable, their word must have been the word of God. The expression of that word through such prepared human instruments has always been the method whereby man has learned the will of God for his own life. They were the mouths of the Lord. That the Almighty God chooses a man to be his representative and his mouthpiece is shown in the interesting account related in Exodus 3 and 4 of his appointment of Moses to be the deliverer of his people Israel. After God called him out of the burning bush and told him that he was the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God is always trying to bring his children out of the Egypt of darkness and ignorance. But Moses did not seek such an appointment. He dreaded it and tried to escape it, although he desired to serve God. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Then God gave his mighty name, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. He also gave further instructions to Moses to tell the people how God had appeared unto him and given these commands. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not sent thee. Then the Lord showed him how to manifest signs of power by the symbols of the rod and of the right hand. But still Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant but I am slow of speech, and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, 
who hath made man's mouth have not i the lord now therefore go and i will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say yet moses could not entirely sever his thought of self and trust the lord and he said o my lord send i pray thee by the hand of him whom thou should send how prone we are even to this day to decide in our minds whom the lord shall send as his representative to man and how he shall come but after all this god chose moses to be his representative to israel and even appointed aaron his brother to be a mouthpiece for moses saying i know that he can speak well and thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth and i will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what ye shall do and he shall be thy spokesman unto the people and he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth and thou shalt be to him instead of god thus god puts his word into the mouths of his chosen ones and thus he appoints a man to be as god unto men it is by the might of the word that man is saved the power of god is in the word but it saves only him who takes it into his heart that it may spring up there into a fountain of living water from which he may be born into a new life in its lower outer aspect it is for the advantage of man's present living it teaches him morals and ethics which are the only source of all true ethical training but its deeper meanings and instructions are to prepare man for an inner life widely different and incomparable to this life indeed the best outer life is but death compared to this inner life it is an old life compared to a new life the speech of these mouthpieces of god was in the language and terminology of the time and place where it was given but the teachings were offered and accepted only up to the degree of capacity in their hearers in the ages of spiritual infancy man could receive but little of the strength of the word and its doctrine was according to his capacity first came the laws of fear and obedience then reverence justice wisdom and love were inculcated as man progressed in the schools of the prophets each revealer of the word was a heavenly schoolmaster and each divine lesson became the foundation for further teaching of a later day each manifester of the commands of god referred to the teachings of those before him as witness to his own authority for had ye believed moses ye would have believed me john five forty six age after age through all history one has appeared who gave to man the word of god divine instruction how to live and what to do to attain a higher and heavenly station to overcome former conditions and rise to a manner of life which should be permanent sinless perfect and valuable with each one there was no earthly power no armies royalty riches nor honor but rather poverty apparent weakness oppression hatred and rejection whatever the circumstance time or place he was or became poor in all things except the riches of the word which ever went forth from the door of humility and lowliness it was simply delivered and left to itself without human aid except the life illustrating it that it might prove its divine power by its own penetrative creative and transforming effect upon mankind 
At first it entered the hearts of the few, changed their lives, opened their minds to the truth and love of God, and then went on from generation to generation, altering the destinies of nations, overthrowing dynasties, forming new peoples, and giving life and hope to untold millions of souls throughout centuries of time. There are men in this day reputed to be learned who try to deny that the historical Jesus ever lived. The histories of him are hearsay accounts written by unknown authors. Not a word of his own writing is in existence as far as known. Indeed, there is no record that he ever wrote except with his finger upon the ground. What a wonderful symbol was that, if it be understood. Even as God wrote with his finger upon the tables of stone, born by Moses from Sinai. Yet the evidence that the Christ lived in that age of the world, and that he gave such teachings as are recorded, is as certain as the existence of the Son, because there must have been a speaker of the words which have lived and proved their divine quality through nineteen centuries in every way possible for the mind or heart of man to conceive. None but a Christ could have conceived such a character as the man, Christ Jesus. The proof of the sun is its shining, and its effect on the physical world. The evidence of the word of God is its educative power and the light of life, which it kindles in the souls of men, making each heart a living flame, never to be quenched. No one who has felt the elixir of the word penetrating his soul and the fountain of eternal youth springing up within him can ever deny the reality of the Christ and the fact of human manifestation the bearer of the cup of life. That which distinguishes man from the lower kingdoms, that which makes him a man, is the power of the word of God working in him to will and to do, to create new methods of thinking and doing, to implant new ideas which later become ideals toward which he strives, because he perceives them to be more valuable than his former knowledge and possessions. And so he grows from childhood to manhood, grows in favor with God, and man. Many can bear witness to the power of the word in their lives. It enters through the brain into the mind of man, and if not rejected, it goes deeper, penetrating his heart, piercing through the shells of self-sufficiency and self-conceit, and becomes the new motive power of his life. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 Sometimes the effect is sudden, in the twinkling of an eye. Sometimes a great grief or disappointment is the cause of his awakening, because such experiences drive man, as it were, to God for relief from despair. He finds in time of sorrow and trial that there is no comforter but God, and that consolation comes through the revealed word, which always invites the hungry, the thirsty, the weary, to water, food, and rest. Therefore the manifestation of the word is indeed the comforter sent by God to those who turn to him. It teaches us of the realities of things, what we are and what we may be. It tells us of the destiny made possible to us by the love of our Father. It is so plain that no fairer in the way need err therein. It is so full that infinite riches reward him who enters its depths. It is the pearl of great price, the treasure of mankind, the guerdon of immortality, 
the path of eternal life. Its rewards are love, wisdom, service, bounty and joy. The divine proof, the permanent and reliable evidence of the mission and authority of any one of God's chosen manifestations is the effect of the word he speaks. Man's word is of little weight, meaning or permanence. It is only for the circumstance and time. It soon fades and is forgotten. But the word of God passes not away. It changes the very nature of man. It lives, grows, spreads in ever-widening influence, has depths and mountains of meanings, is exhaustless, boundless, mighty, and rides in triumph over innumerable graves and generations of the works of men. So it is said in the revelation of St. John that he who went forth conquering and to conquer, riding upon the white horse and followed by the hosts of heaven, he who was the Lord of hosts was called the Word of God. Revelation 19.11 Is it not sufficiently evident that the great means for the salvation of men from themselves, for the overcoming of all satanic desires and the attainment of eternal life, is the word of God. All the mighty names surround the word, the one redeeming, creating, life-giving power, the angel of light, the king of righteousness, the son, the father, the manifestation, the glory of God, his right arm, his holy one, his redeemer and savior, is his word incarnate, revealed through the mouths and manifested in the lives of his holy and chosen ones from the beginning of the world. End of section three. Recording by Nicholas James Bridgewater. Recorded in London, England.